Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Good morning, Generations Church. This is Pastor Jeremy. And before I get into anything else, can I just tell you that Corey and I love you so much? You know, we have said for a while that we have five kids. We have Cooper, Branson, Tucker, Kinley, and we have Generations Church. Uh, We think about you. We pray for you. We talk about you. We dream about your future uh, so much. And over the last few days, the last week or so, as our kids have been home and we've been doing school and being together more than than usual, uh, we've loved that time spent with them, but we've missed our time spent with you. And so I'm thankful that technology does bring us together. I've said that phrase a number of times over the last week or so because I am. If we uh, were a church 20 years ago or 50 years ago, this wouldn't even be possible to gather together like this. So I'm thankful for the opportunity that we do have to come together like this. But I do miss seeing your face. I do miss coming together, worshiping together, and encouraging one another. And hopefully soon we'll be able to do that. So here's what we're doing in the interim. If you're not really connected to all the ways we're trying to serve you, even as we can't meet together like we normally do, hopefully by now you are following us on the various social media networks and channels that we have, Facebook and Instagram primarily. Uh, YouTube's another place that we're trying to put some resources and things for you. Uh, But what we're trying to do on a regular basis, each day we're posting a prayer and scripture point uh, for you just to meditate over God's word and really be uh, challenged and encouraged by God's word and a prayer point for that day that we're all joining together to pray about. Another thing that we're trying to do is to resource families. So we're trying to uh, make our curriculum available to families so that parents uh, can encourage their kids, teach their kids, show them some videos or other things, do some things together, some fun challenges that we're competing uh, each day with families to do uh, together. And so that's been a lot of fun. Uh, Some of the more practical things that we're attempting to do to meet needs is if we have an age for you in our database and we've determined that you're over the age of 60, which seems to be one of the higher risk demographics within uh, the country right now related to the coronavirus, um, we're trying to connect to you to, to see if there's any way that we can help you during this time. So if you choose not to get out of your house or you're choosing to you know, try to be very careful, if there's a way that we can serve you, help to go get your groceries or your prescriptions or something else that you need, we're trying to make sure that there's someone that can help you in that way. And so if, if we've not connected to you, it means one of two things. One, we don't have contact information for you. Or two, we don't know how old you are. So you've, you've done a really good job of kind of tricking us there. But if you'll email us at info at g.church and just let us know that you have a need. And that's not just for those over 60. But if you have a need, you have something that we can do to help serve you. We would love the opportunity uh, to do that for you. The other things that we're doing is we're making some donations and we're trying to meet needs in our community uh, through local organizations. Our school system must ministries uh, as they try to feed those and help those who are less fortunate. And so we're taking the funds that you give at g.church uh, and, and we're putting those, those funds into action to try to help meet the needs here in our community. And let me just say really quickly before I jump into the message today, Uh, that I I do want us to be the church. And I've said that a couple of times in different videos that we've sent out. Uh, And one of the ways that we can do that is to really understand that no matter what you think is happening around us, we serve a very unique role. So you may be somebody that thinks that right now all of this news and all of the things that are happening, man, it's just crazy and it's, it's media driven and there's a lot of hysteria and paranoia that, that doesn't need to happen and you have every right to feel that way. But I would encourage you to be careful with your words. This, this is a very real situation uh, from the standpoint of people that are sick and, and some that have passed away. And so we want to be sensitive to that. No matter how people are getting sick or are passing away, we want you to be sensitive with your words and be careful with your words so that even if you're on 
online and you're, you're on social media and you, you say the right things to win the argument, what we don't want you to do is to lose the relationship. We don't want you to lose credibility or influence so that you can spread the cause of Christ uh, even beyond these days. Maybe you, you fall to the other extreme. Maybe you are scared to death about everything that you hear, everything that you see. Maybe you've heard the stories and you're reading the statistics and you're reading every news article that comes out and you're watching every video that you can find and it's causing you to isolate in fear. I would say to you, be careful not to isolate. We were, we were created to live in community with one another. And while we want to be careful and we want to practice social distancing and all of those things, I would encourage you to stay connected in community and in relationship with other people. Do not allow this present circumstance to cause you to push back from relationship. Uh, that's not what God intended. And I believe that relationship could help bring freedom to you in this season where we could be consumed by fear and worry and anxiety. Maybe you find yourself somewhere in between these two extremes and you're just afraid for your job or you're afraid for your health or you're afraid for your friends or your family. You're uncertain about what's going to happen with the finances and the stock market and, and all of those kinds of things. What I would say to you is what we've said a few times and probably what you've heard in other places but God did not, he wasn't caught by surprise in all of this. We believe in the sovereignty of God, and Isaiah tells us that his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And there is definitely a calm that can come to us to recognize that God can redeem these moments, and he can work all these things together for the good. And so we trust in him, we, we, we use as much wisdom as we can, but we believe that God is going to work all these things out, and he's going to redeem these moments in ways that we could not Imagine And so just know this, we continue to pray for you, we continue to think about you and dream for you of all the things that God may be desiring to do, and we can't wait to gather back together. So today I'm, I'm really excited as we conclude this series that we've been in now for several weeks. This is week four of our Redeemed series as we've been looking at the book of Ruth. And what I would encourage you to do is even though you may be in your living room or you may be watching on a mobile device somewhere out in the community, if you can, I would encourage you just for the next few minutes to really dive into what we're doing. I would encourage you, take a Bible out, open up a device, uh, and, and let's go to God's Word together. We're in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, and we're going to spend most of our time today in chapter 4. This, this story that we've been in now for several weeks, and if you haven't been tracking with us, we encourage you to go back and catch up on our podcast. But this is really where each week we took one of the four chapters of this book of Ruth and the book of Ruth really finds itself between two seasons in the history of Israel. It's, it's really kind of between the judges or at the end of the season of judges and just before the season of the kings, uh, King Saul and then eventually King David, who we're actually going to talk about in a few minutes. So each week we've talked about one of these four chapters. And so today we find ourselves in chapter four. And just to bring us all up to speed, we, we were introduced in chapter one to this Hebrew family, Elimelech and his wife Naomi, and they had two sons. And to escape famine, they went to the land of Moab. And when they arrived in the land of Moab, Elimelech eventually dies. He passes away. He leaves Naomi as a widow, and he leaves his two sons to provide for their family. And then these two sons, they fall in love with two Moabite women, one by the name of Orpah and one by the name of Ruth, who is the title character of this book. And eventually the two sons, uh, they die as well. And so now these three women are left to fend for themselves Eventually, Naomi decides she wants to return to her homeland, and so she tells these daughters-in-law, thank you so much for your loyalty, thank you for being with me, go back to your homes, I'm going to return to mine. And eventually, after a long conversation and much weeping, Orpah decides she's going to return to her family, but Ruth says, I'm going to go with you, where you go, I'll go, where you die, I'll die, I'm going to go, your gods will become my God, your people will become my people. And so then as they track through, they meet a man named Boaz, who is a distant relative of Elimelech. 
And eventually, Naomi sends Ruth on a mission to connect to Boaz so that he can become what we've learned about in this book is called a kinsman redeemer. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. But the idea of a kinsman redeemer is this Jewish cultural piece where if a, if a woman is left as a widow with no children, then the closest male relative would come and marry her so that he could provide protection and he could provide a child to her so that the family name, the family lineage would continue on. And so I want to pick up the story here in Ruth chapter 4 as Boaz is about to assume his role, if it is not taken by another close male relative, to assume his role as kinsman redeemer. Let's look at this in Ruth chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there, just as the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned earlier came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down, and Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not tell me so, I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Let's skip to verse 8. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal, which was a sign of a covenant that they were making together. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all of the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses." Now, I referenced just a minute ago that the idea of a kinsman redeemer was this Jewish custom, and so there was a closer male relative than Boaz, and so he wanted to give this closer male relative the opportunity to do what was right, to do what was their custom, and to uh, take, take a, a part of that property and make it his own, and as a part of that, to also acquire, and don't get hung up on that word, but to acquire this widow woman so that she could become his wife, so that he could continue the family lineage. But once the kinsman redeemer, this other close a relative realizes that with the land, he also gets this new wife. He says, hey, I'm out. I'm not going to do that. It will jeopardize my own estate, so I'm not going to do that. And so Boaz says, okay, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to step up as the next in line, and I'm going to do what one of us should do. And so when I read through this passage, I'm confronted with two truths. The first of them is this. Care and compassion can definitely be strategic, but at the end of the day, the job just has to be done. Care and compassion can definitely be strategic, but at the end of the day, it just has to be done. Boaz says to him, he says, listen, here's what you need to know. We have an obligation. It falls to you first. And if you choose not to do what is right by our distant relative's family, then I'm going to do what is right. He had a plan. There was a custom. There was a law. But at the end of the day, Boaz said, I'm committed to doing whatever is necessary to take care of those who need to be taken care of. Here's what that means, maybe in a practical sense. If I walk up to a burning building and I hear noise coming from that building that someone is inside and they're, they're calling out for help, I could definitely say, I, I'm within my right to say, well, we have a structure for that. We have a system for that. I'll just wait on the fire department to get here. And maybe that's the safest thing 
to do. But if I see someone is in danger and I look around me and the fire department hasn't made it there yet, there's no truck, there's no emergency services personnel, there's no one else to help, what am I going to do? I'm going to be compelled to go in and try to do my very best to try to save this other person. And I think so many of us, we we would feel that call, we would feel that tug. And the reason is that while there is a system and there is strategy sometimes to care and compassion, at the end of the day, we've just got to do what is right. How often do we see someone in need and we say, "Well, well, that's someone else's problem. That's someone else's responsibility. I mean, we can talk all we want about government and about individual responsibility. We can talk all we want about nonprofits and social services. But are we committed to helping those in need? Are we committed to doing what is right? There's far too many people like this closest male relative who would say, I'll help as long as it won't cost me anything. Or I'll help as long as it doesn't cost me a lot. But I'm so thankful that as we've talked about each of these three weeks, that this story is a foreshadowing to Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful when I think about my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, That he didn't have the opinion of that closest male relative. He didn't have the attitude of this other possible kinsman redeemer who said, you know what, I want to help, but only if it's not going to cost me anything. No, no, no. Even Jesus in the garden as he prayed to the Father and he said, let this cup of suffering pass from me. He said, but ultimately not my will, but your will be done. God, I'm willing to endure the cross. I'm willing to endure the pain so that I can redeem mankind, so that I can help them to be forgiven from their sins. Well, here's the reality for all of us. If you call yourself a Christian, and perhaps if you're watching today, that's not the name that you call yourself. But if you call yourself a Christian, that that word, if you just kind of take it down, derive it there, we're just talking about being little Christ. We're talking about being imitators and followers of Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, then we are attempting to the very best of our ability to embody his character and his nature and to represent him wherever we go. And so we run into burning buildings. Literally or figuratively, we we run after those who need our help. We run after those who need redemption. We don't ask, what will it cost me? We're willing to give everything as followers of Jesus Christ to help be part of the redemption story of those who need redeeming. So Boaz steps up. Now look at this beginning in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, the mother-in-law, Praise be the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and she cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, Boaz did his job as kinsman redeemer. He took Ruth as his wife. He bought the land so that she had something to pass on. And he gave to her a son to continue in this family lineage. But just for a moment, I want us to to pause talking about Ruth. And I want us to look again at Naomi. She was one of the first characters that we were introduced to in this story in, in, the, in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, Naomi, again, was the wife of Elimelech. She was a woman whose husband died. She became a widow. Her two sons died. She eventually lost a daughter-in-law who, who chose to go back to her own home. And so she's left with Ruth. And in Ruth, chapter 1, some of the closing verses there, verses 20 and 21, look at what she says about herself as she's coming back to her homeland. She says, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. 
I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. She went from calling herself Naomi to calling herself bitter. But here in these verses in Ruth chapter four, after the blessing of God is poured out on her life, because of Boaz's obedience and and the connection she had with this Moabite woman, this foreign young lady named Ruth, Naomi turns from bitter to blessed. These other women in her hometown, they say, look at you. You have a daughter-in-law who has given birth to a son. This is more valuable to you than if you'd had seven sons of your own. And so this woman who had called herself bitter actually is now having her name be proclaimed as being blessed. I, I don't want to sound repetitive, but it might sound repetitive as, I, as I've preached a couple weeks of this, this series. But nothing much had changed in Naomi's story due to her own efforts. If you think about the way this story plays out, she went from bitter to blessed because of someone else. She had followed her husband to the land of Moab, and there her sons fell in love with these young Moabite women. But it was Ruth's decision to follow Naomi back home. It was Ruth's interaction with Boaz. It was Boaz's obedience that ultimately led to the blessing of Naomi. And I don't know what's happening in your life right now. I don't know what circumstances you may find yourself in, whether it's connected to all that's happening in our world right now, or maybe it, it preceded that and you felt this way for months. Maybe you would say about yourself, I am bitter. The circumstances of my life leave me longing for more. I'm not sure where God is. I feel like he's not a million miles within where I'm at right now. And I would say to you that you have the opportunity to be blessed by God no matter how you feel. Naomi never could have seen this story playing out the way it actually played out. But let me flip the script for just a second. Let me talk to the rest of us to say, who is it around you that may look bitter, they may look broken, and God desires you to bring them blessing? This may sound repetitive. I may have said something similar over the last few weeks, but maybe it's because it's still not sunk into me yet, and maybe it hasn't gotten all the way into your spirit yet. But I desperately believe, I, I, I'm telling you, it's, it's in me, it's, it's getting into those core places of my being that God desires to use us, the followers of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, the big C church, to be agents of blessing, to be agents of redemption to those around us who are bitter and who are broken and who are broken down and don't know where to turn. And what if God is waiting on you? What if God is desiring for you to be an agent of redemption? to be an agent of blessing. So it causes me to ask this question throughout my day. And I've been doing this over the last few days as I prepared to even deliver this message. Just, just walking around. We were walking in our neighborhood the other night and there were other people that were walking on those sidewalks. They were walking their dogs and walking with their family. And I saw people out in their yard and they were, they were doing different things. And I was practicing social distance. But at the same time, I was saying to myself, God, who, who is it that you want me to bless? God, who is it that's right here around me that I can bless? Maybe it's my family in my home right now. Maybe it's my next door neighbor. Maybe it's somebody down the street. Maybe in the few places that we're interacting right now as other things are beginning to close, maybe there's an intentional moment that God is causing you to cross paths with someone who is in need because you are an agent of blessing for someone who feels bitter, for someone who feels broken. God, who can I bless? And so what was the result of this blessing? Boaz and Ruth have a child, and this child, this son's name is Obed. Obed grows up, and after he grows up, 
He himself has a son, and that son's name is Jesse. And if you're tracking with the story, you know where we're headed. Jesse grows up, and Jesse eventually has sons as well. And one of those sons of Jesse is a little shepherd boy named David. Now, maybe you're familiar with King David. He would eventually grow up to be the young man who who threw a rock out of a slingshot, and Goliath fell. He was the one who played the harp for King Saul, and when the favor of God was lifted off King Saul, it rested on that shepherd boy David. And eventually he would become king, and eventually he would lead God's people for a season, and he would have a son himself, Solomon, who would be the wisest man ever to live. But when you go all the way to Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, we read this, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Now skipping to verse 16, we read this. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. I realize that sometimes in our lives, we cannot see how there's any way God could bring blessing from our pain. How God could bring blessing from our brokenness. How God could redeem the bad and turn it to good. But if you go all the way back to Ruth chapter 1, you see famine that forced them to a different land. And in that land, those sons met girls that they fell in love with. And even in the midst of loss, one of those young ladies would go back to Naomi's hometown to meet a man named Boaz who would be obedient. And there would be Obed and there would be Jesse And there would be David, and eventually there would come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Here's what I know about me, and here's what I know about you. We want to see the full story of God play out. We want to know how all the details work. We want to know what's going to happen and how it's going to happen and when it's going to happen. But so often what God is asking of us is our obedience in this season, our faithfulness in this season, our trust in this season, and we may not get to see, we probably won't get to see the culmination of all the plans of God because those plans of God, they go for generation to generation to generation. We draw the name of our church from Deuteronomy chapter six that faith is for you, your children, and your children's children. Could it be that the greatest blessing, the greatest thing that you could do with your life is to establish a faith foundation for your children so that they could pass on faith to their children and their children after them and their children after them. And three or four generations from now, there are people who are worshiping God through technology that we can't even imagine today and in gatherings that we can't even comprehend today. And they're doing so because you put a stake in the ground today. And you said, I'm going to be an agent of blessing. I'm going to be a part of the redemptive story of God in the lives of people around me. I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to believe the best for my marriage. I'm going to forgive quickly. I'm going to admit to the things and seek forgiveness for those things that I've done wrong. I'm going to restore relationship with my children or with my parents. I'm going to ask God to use me to be a blessing to others because they may not have someone who's making the same commitment that I'm talking about making today and you could be that person so that generations from now they are thanking God for you because you crossed the street, because you walked down the hall at work, 
because you came into the classroom and you showed them the love of God because you prayed for them, because you decided to be an agent of blessing. You decided to take part in their redemption story. And here's my hope for all of us. Let's take part in the redemption story of others as God is redeeming us. Let's take part in the redemption story of others as God is redeeming us. I think that's the bottom line of the story of Ruth. I think as we read through these four chapters, these powerful four chapters, as we read through this story, we see the redemption story of God at work. And so many places along the way, it hinged on the obedience of someone else, the loyalty of someone else, someone else making a decision to do what was right in the moment. And so my hope and my prayer for you is that as we come to the conclusion of this series, that you see your circumstances as a part of the story that God can redeem for his greater glory and his great purposes, but also that we see ourselves as agents of blessing and agents of redemption so that God, when he's looking across the landscape of the earth, even in times like these, seasons of chaos and uncertainty, he looks across the landscape of the earth and he sees a group of people in Canton, Georgia, who are saying yes to God without even knowing the question. God, we're in. God, whatever it is that you ask us to do, we will run into burning buildings to save those who are lost. We'll do whatever you ask us to do. And so today I want to pray for you. I want to pray God's blessing over you. I also want to pray for those who may not call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. That today, right where you're at, if you're in your living room or you're in the car and you've pulled it over because of what God's doing right now, or maybe you're somewhere else and you're watching with a watch party of your groups, and I just want to pray that God would capture your heart, you would acknowledge your need for him, and that he would change your eternity forever. Let's bow our head and close our eyes just for a moment. God, we love you today, and we thank you that you hear us when we pray. We thank you, God, that in the midst of chaos and uncertainty, none of this caught you by surprise, and you are redeeming these moments for greater good and greater glory. And so God, now I pray for those who acknowledge their need for you. They need to be redeemed. They need you to continue the redemption story in their lives. And so God, I pray now that they would acknowledge their need for you to be the Lord and Savior of their lives, to forgive their sins and change their eternity forever. We celebrate with heaven now for those who make that decision. And God, I also pray for those of us who are listening today, and I ask you to help us to be agents of blessing and agents of redemption God, you would work through us. You would help us to be sensitive to those around us. You would help us to ask those questions. Who is it that I can bless? Who can I bless? God, who is broken around me that I just need to speak life and love into, grace and mercy into, maybe giving tangibly to meet their physical needs or maybe speaking into their emotional or psychological or spiritual need today? God, let us be a people that are about your kingdom work in the earth. And God will give you all the glory and all the praise for all that you are going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day and God bless.